Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our service is a little bit different right now. Our worship services continue to be suspended, and they will continue in that suspended state until the uh, rule of 10 is lifted here in the state of Nebraska. We hope and pray that that is soon. We'll keep you posted, encourage you to go to the Good Shepherd website, www.goodshepherdlincoln.org, and we'll have uh, all of our handy resources there available for you. We are very, very thankful that we've been able to continue with our worship services. Uh, the radio station has been a great blessing, as well as our new venture into YouTube. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media is what you would search to find our daily devotions, our Wednesday and Sunday worship services. We got a lot of stuff archived there and on our radio station website as well, thecross957.org. And we pray that God would richly bless us, that this pandemic, this uh, scourge, this plague would be removed from us, and that we can return to some semblance of normal in a uh, very, very quick time period. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter, and uh, I remember as a kid thinking how uh, how funky and how cool this particular Sunday is with its Latin name, Quasimodo Geniti. Pastor, uh, happy Quasimodo Geniti to you. Gesundheit. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Uh, What's sorry. this Quasimodo stuff? Uh, Quasimodo is uh, the many of the Sundays, I think, in fact, all of them, uh, technically you could name the Sundays of the church here using the Latin words from the first line of the introit, and that's exactly what's happening here. The introit for Quasimodo Geniti is like newborn infants, and the word Quasimodo has that uh, like part to it, and geniti is the infant part, and so we have uh, the first line of the introit in Latin being the name, the title used for this particular week in the church year. Okay, so Like Newborn Infant Sunday is uh, kind of the title that we have here. The second Sunday of Easter, you know, it always has the uh, it always has the nickname of being Low Sunday in the church because so many people go to church on Easter Sunday that the Sunday after Easter tends to be just a little bit light. Um, We've been having a lot of low Sundays here lately with this uh, suspended service thing, but I do want to say how thankful we are to the people of God here at Good Shepherd, the uh, support and encouragement for the pastors, the staff, the lay leadership in the congregation has been amazing. Uh, the uh, congregational support, not only with prayers and with uh, uh financial contributions have been uh, wonderful. So uh, thank you, and uh, we pray that we'll return to uh, 
regular corporate worship soon. But in the meantime, we'll provide as many aspects of God's word to you in as many ways as we are legally able to do that. Vicar, the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Easter, Quasimodo Genity, Low Sunday, sometimes also called Doubting Thomas Sunday. You want to read those words from John 20 for us, please? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, thank you, Vicar. John 20, 19 to 31, the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Easter. Pastor, there are so many things here that um, I'm almost at a loss as to where to begin. I think I'll begin right at the beginning. Verse 19 of John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, what day? day, let's make this very, very clear to our listeners, what day are we talking about? We're talking about Easter here, uh, the very first Easter, that evening is when Jesus shows up and talks to the disciples, and so it is in accord with the other Gospels where uh, they kind of had an idea what happened because uh, Peter and John had been at the tomb and seen that it was empty, and uh, now Jesus shows up to them alive later in the day, and so it's Easter, that's the day we're talking about. Okay, so these events take place Easter evening. There's a lot of stuff going on on Easter day. We have the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. We have the uh, uh disciples, as you mentioned, Peter and John at the tomb. We have the women at the tomb. We have lots of stuff going on. We have a lot of details that we don't know about that day. But now it is Easter evening, and these events are about to take place. The doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. And so um, there, there is no government stay-at-home order 
for the disciples. The disciples are staying at home, uh, probably not socially distancing either, but they are staying home, and the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Pastor, what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid that um, as Jesus was arrested and crucified and killed, the same thing will happen to them because of uh, uh, their association with Jesus. It's a uh, fear. It's the same fear that caused them to run away as he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday. It's the same fear that kept most of them from being at the cross to see Jesus uh, hanging there and bleeding and dying. Uh, It's a fear uh, of self-preservation. And I think it's an interesting contrast here uh, as well. Maybe I'm jumping ahead between Christians who say it's necessary to invite Jesus into your heart uh, and the terrified disciples that are locked in the room uh, on this Easter evening. You know, Jesus doesn't knock on the door. They don't invite Jesus in. He just enters. He shows them his hands and his wounds and says, peace be with you. Uh, could you imagine it the other way, Jesus banging on the door and wanting to get in? Uh, they'd, they'd think that the Jews are still after them, that there's a trick happening and somebody's coming in to try and arrest them and kill them. Uh, I think that's a really important thing here. Jesus knows their fear that's caused them to be locked in, and he doesn't give them an opportunity to act on it. Okay, so bottom line is they're afraid to die. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, during this uh, pandemic break, I've had a little extra time to watch, uh, oh, Law & Order, NCIS, Criminal Minds, um, all these kind of uh, cop drama shows. And uh, so I'm, I'm analyzing here what happened. So... So the disciples uh, had locked the doors, but they must have left a window open, right? Is that how Jesus snuck in and uh, and came in? He came in through the window, or he found a door that was un- uh, unlocked? No. Everything's locked up. They don't want anybody in or out, uh, and that's what they're acting on. So how did Jesus get in? He's the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and he can be wherever he wants to be. And the amazing part of it even is if we believe Luke's gospel, which I do, uh, he'd also, not very long before this, been uh, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so he can be wherever he wants to be, when he wants to be, and perhaps even more than one place at one time. So, <coughs> so excuse me. So we have <clears throat> Jesus, the Son of God, risen from the dead. Um, if a... Uh, if death cannot hold him, if the stone at the front of the tomb cannot hold him, a little thing like a door is not going to hold him either. So Jesus comes and appears to them and anticipating the fact that they are full of fear and maybe a little bit shocked that even though the doors were locked, Jesus is there. He says, peace be with you. Um, What kind of peace are we talking about here, Pastor? Peace that surpasses all understanding, peace from the resurrection, peace uh, that is an absolution of forgiveness of sins, peace between God and man, uh, all those pieces uh, and more. Peace which drives away our fear. Vicar, uh, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. Uh, Why did Jesus show them his hands and side? Well, Jesus knows the sinful hearts of the sinful hearts of man, and uh, knew that they needed to see that to even to begin to try to believe that it was Him in the flesh. 
So, Pastor, were his hands inside miraculously healed, like he healed the ear of Malchus uh, that Peter had chopped off? Were the uh, were the wounds uh, like completely covered over? W- help me out here. Why 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 is this happening? Well, um, perhaps we should consider what happens in Revelation two, where we see the picture of a lamb who had been slain standing before the throne, and that's the same sort of thing here. The wounds are there. And they are the testimony of what has been accomplished to earn the forgiveness of sins for us. They are the signs that show forgiveness has been earned. Uh, We preach Christ crucified, Paul says, uh, to indicate that 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 wounding is how our salvation is earned. And so they are the wounds as they would have been on Good Friday, and yet Jesus is alive forevermore because death no longer has dominion over him. Seems to me that we have uh, several hymns that talk about how Jesus still bears the scars or still bears the wounds. And uh, I have always thought, help me out here, Pastor, I have always thought that one of the reasons why Jesus still bears his scars is so that we know that it was not a ghost so that we know that it's not some figment of our imagination. Or a different secret twin. Or an evil twin or a happy twin or whatever. The same Jesus that was crucified is the Jesus who is now risen and in their midst. Is that that a fair way to uh, look at that? That's, That's a big part of it, yep. Okay. Uh, We have so much more to talk about when we come back from our break. We're looking at the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Easter, John 20, 19 to 31. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. P95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are serving the saints, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today we're looking at the readings for the second Sunday after Easter. And what you heard was the first verse of the hymn of the day for Easter 2, Quasimodo Geniti, O Sons and Daughters of the King. And that hymn recounts and tells in narrative form as you sing through the hymn the uh, the accounts and the events surrounding Thomas. Uh, we uh, In our first segment, we looked at uh, the first part of John 20, 19 to 31. We have uh, Jesus showing them his hands and side. And then it says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Um, we almost throw that line away, Pastor. The disciples were huddled in their room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. 
He says those words. He shows them his hands inside, and it says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What just happened here? They've been absolved of their sin. They've been forgiven all the abandonment of Jesus, all the disbelief of Jesus, all the uh, fear uh, that God isn't who he is. Um, All that is forgiven when Jesus shows up and shows them his hands and his feet and his side, his wounds, uh, which purchase that forgiveness of sins. So when uh, you turn my mourning into dancing, you turn my weeping into gladness. Those are themes from the Psalms, especially Psalm 30. What we have here is that in action, because immediately, not after a 12-step program, not after they've been through months of therapy, immediately at the words And at the actions, showing them his hands inside, immediately their fear is driven away and they are at peace. Isn't that stunning? That's that's like a miracle that we don't even notice here in this text. Yeah, and uh, there's very little that they do as well, right? Jesus shows up in the midst of their fear, and he says, Peace be with you, and shows them his wounds, and that's the thing that brings them uh, the joy and the comfort and the peace that we have as Christians. Uh, I think that's really important for us to understand, and even as we confess it in our uh, our small catechism, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. Uh, in fact, in this case, Jesus comes to them and says, here's how your forgiveness is given to you. So absolved by Jesus, Jesus standing right there, showing them his hands and his side, speaking the words of absolution. Jesus now speaks again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Uh, Pastor, that sounds an awful lot like the disciples just got ordained. Um, what what is happening here on this Easter evening? Well, in the immediate sense, that's exactly what's happening. Jesus is uh, making them into pastors to go out and proclaim the resurrection to everyone who will listen. Um, And uh, it's kind of a neat thing to see that take place in this way. The breathing on the disciples, I think, is very key in this uh, point as well, because um, when he breathes out, uh, he's breathing out the Holy Spirit, if you will. He's breathing out his word uh, and giving it to them so that they can go out and preach and teach it. Uh, and so all sorts of neat things are happening in this particular instance. So forgiven and restored by Jesus. Now <clears throat> Jesus sends them out specifically on a mission or a commission to go and to take that forgiveness into the whole world. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see more details of that in other parts of Scripture, but um, this first part of John chapter 20 is oftentimes skipped over because everybody is in such a hurry to get to the Doubting Thomas account. And I don't blame them. This is a a significant and uh, important account too. But I think this text, for preachers that are listening, I think this text is best preached when it is looked at in three separate things that are going on. 
The first part is the uh, absolution and ordination of the disciples. The last part, uh, the last uh, verse or two about Jesus did many other signs that are not written in the book. And then the middle part is this encounter with Thomas, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. You know, and they've just been ordained and commissioned to do this. They're just doing exactly what they've been told. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Pastor, Thomas was just overcome by grief. He didn't really mean it, right? Um, well, uh, I you've run into people that have said the same things, right? Uh, this is a understandable human response. Uh, sin does have the best of him in this regard. Uh, his bad confession, if you will. Um, and uh, I don't know if he's overwhelmed by grief or if it's by fear or if it's uh, um, just uh, anger at himself for uh, believing a false thing is what he's probably telling himself. Uh, there's no faith that's there. And uh, we know people like that. We've seen people like that. We've talked to people like that. I, unless I see some really solid evidence, you know, I'm not going to believe. And um, I, I think um, the sad part of that is, is, is it's throwing out all the evidence that there actually is that Jesus rose from the dead and saying, I want something different, something outside of what uh, the actual recorded evidence is. Uh, and so, it's sad for Thomas, it's sad for those in our world today who believe the same thing, uh, but we're going to see Jesus is going to take care of this for Thomas. Thomas should have believed the words of the other disciples. The power is in the word, and that word was spoken by the disciples. But he stubbornly claimed that he didn't believe. Now, we can't look inside his heart, but uh, he said, if we take him at his word, he said, I don't believe and I will not believe. He set up conditions to his faith. Um, eight days later, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This is the reason why this gospel is always the second Sunday of Easter, eight days after Easter, uh, one week after Easter Sunday, uh, this is the event that happened. And so we're, we're reminded of that. That's not only in the one-year series of readings, but all three of uh, the individual ABC readings as well. That's how significant this is. For eight days, uh, Peter, James, John, and the other disciples are more than likely encouraging Thomas to believe. For eight days, Thomas is stubbornly clinging to his unbelief. And then Jesus to, to showed... Give, to oh. give Thomas the benefit of the doubt to a certain extent, though, he didn't run away from them again. He's at least still there with them, listening to the word uh, spoken by these guys uh, when Jesus shows up again. And so encouragement to you Excellent people point. out there, don't just leave church behind if you struggle with your faith. Keep on going. 
God keeps on working faith through the word. Yeah, that's a very important point. He did not cut himself off from the fellowship of uh, the disciples. He is there. Jesus comes and says the exact same words, peace be with you. Then he looks directly at Thomas. Remember, Thomas had said, unless I put my finger in his hand and in his side, I will not believe. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Um, Many translations and specifically the King James Version, this is where the whole doubting Thomas thing came in. Many translations say, do not doubt, but believe. Here in the ESV, it says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Does it make any difference whether it's doubt or disbelieve, Pastor? Why is the ESV so intent on using that word disbelieve? Well, um, there is, uh, there's probably a little bit difference depending on how we we understand it. Um, I'm looking up the verse here as we speak in, in my Greek New Testament, but... Uh, it is kind of an interesting thing. Jesus tells him to stop doing the disbelieving, to stop um, stop actively making yourself doubt. Uh, we, could, we could probably say it either way. That's what he's doing, and that's what's coming in uh, from his own heart, uh, from his own decisions, from his own uh, choosing. Uh, and that's important for us to realize the sinful person, as we, we mentioned earlier, as we confess in the small catechism, cannot believe in Jesus unless Jesus works faith. And the way he does that for Thomas here is he says, uh, stop uh, having not faith, stop being faithless. Um, and that's, and I'm looking here at the Greek now, that's exactly what he says. Uh, do not be unbelieving is what he says, but instead be faithful, be believing. And uh, that's what God does to each and every one of us through the work of the Holy Spirit in word and sacrament. And the power of the word of God does exactly what it says it will do. God says what he's going to do, and then he does what he says. He He tells us, and then he does it. Immediately after hearing that word, Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Uh, There's nothing recorded here about Thomas putting his finger or his hand in Jesus' side or in the wounds. He heard the word of God, and he believed. There is that great uh, Caravaggio painting from uh, hundreds of years ago that has the doubting Thomas that everybody probably knows with his finger right up there next to the side of Jesus. Uh, But you're right, it doesn't say that actually happens. It's the word of Jesus that's spoken that creates faith, just like for all of us. Faith doesn't uh, get a special dispensation to uh, come about in the disciples. Faith is always worked the same way by God. And then we have these, uh, these words of promise for all people. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Is he talking about you and me here, Pastor? 
Uh, he is. He's talking about us. He's talking about all Christians. He's talking about um, maybe some people that were alive then. He's talking about Abraham in the past. He's talking about all of those people who believe according to the Word uh, without having to see Jesus face-to-face. In a certain sense, I'm sure we could say we do come into contact with Jesus and the Lord's Supper, and yet it's still the Word that creates faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so, my friend, if you are doubting, if you are in a state of disbelief, simply hear the word of God and believe it. Christ Jesus bled and died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He brings peace, forgiveness, life, and salvation for you. Thanks be to God. We'll be right back. We need to take a short break. K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. The Old Testament reading for Easter 2 is uh, one of the coolest Bible passages in all of Scripture. Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. If you tuned in to the Easter vigil service, you heard this text uh, read at that point in time. It is a major, major resurrection theme text, this vision that God gives to the prophet Ezekiel. Vicar, take it away, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Okay, there you have it. Uh, Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. This is an amazing text. It is an amazing text when you get it right. And uh, sadly, a lot of people do a lot of naughty things with this text. And so in this particular segment, um, we're going to have Pastor Moline uh, say everything there is to say about this text, uh, answer every question and the hit. Well, no, of course not. We can't do that. But um, we are going to approach this in uh, just a little bit different way. My first question, Pastor, the hand of the Lord is upon me or was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Ezekiel, having the hand of the Lord, Yahweh, upon him. And Yahweh brought Ezekiel out in the spirit of the Lord. What are we to make of the way this particular prophecy and this vision starts out? Well, uh, I think you said it correctly there. This is a vision then that God is giving to Ezekiel, and all this language is there to tell us that it is a vision uh, and that uh, this is how God is speaking to him directly. It is from God, uh, but it is a vision. It's not as if there is a real valley out there that he's taking him to that we can go and we can find evidence that the bones rattled together or whatever. Um, It is a vision it is a vision that is telling us about what is going to happen for real, uh, and yet it's still just a vision at this point. Okay. So here is my question, and I'm going to let you answer it in any particular way or order that you want. As I was listening to Vicar read this text, I was thinking about a military battle, and after a slaughter of lots of people, the vultures come and pick at the bones, and the sun bleaches and dries out the, the bones and the flesh. And uh, I have in my brain a picture of a people, that uh, army, uh, that have been defeated and eaten and swallowed up by the buzzards and the vultures. As I heard Vicar reading these words, I thought about Judgment Day the end of the world, and the physical resurrection of the flesh on the last day, the bones of the dead coming back to life by the power of God's word. As I heard Vicar uh, reading these words, I thought of my own conversion. I'm lost and dead in the trespasses of my sin, and by the power of God, he puts breath in me and makes my dry, dead, sinful bones come back to life. So, 
those are the things that came to my mind in that short time that Vic, I had all three of them in my mind. Um, am I a little bit right? Am I quite a bit right? Am I completely off the rail, Pastor, in whatever order? Uh, help us understand these words from Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. I think all those things uh, in their own ways are correct, and I think that's the picture, the vision that God is giving to Ezekiel, uh, how all of us are going to be dead, how all of us are going to be bones uh, or uh, remains of some kind, right? And how on the last day God's going to put us all back together. And I think this is really important as well because we see God— putting the bones back together, sinew upon sinew, tendon upon tendon, bone upon bone. We see the flesh grow onto them. Uh, and yet, even after the flesh is there, what do we still have a valley of? Dead bodies. Uh, it's the word, the breath of God, the same breath that Jesus breathed on his disciples, the word of God that brings resurrection uh, and life about the same way the creation happened in the beginning. These people are recreated Um almost exactly the same way God brings them out of the dust of the earth and breathes the breath of life into them. And that's the same thing for us as well. How are we alive forever? God has breathed his word into our ear, and by hearing his word, now we have faith and the hope of eternal life. And so all these things are the picture that God is painting for us in this vision to Ezekiel. Is there a historical context that we should be aware of that's going on in Ezekiel 37? Uh, was there some great battle? Was there some army that was victor victorious over the children of Israel? Is, is there something tangible that uh, historically happened or recently happened or was about to happen? Um, is there a context? Well, um, in some ways, of course, there is. Uh, Ezekiel 37 comes after Ezekiel 24, which is where Nebuchadnezzar um, destroys the city of Jerusalem and uh, leads the remaining people away into um, um, exile in Babylon. Ezekiel already was there in Babylon. They had already taken some people, and Ezekiel is not there to witness that firsthand. He doesn't see the bodies in Jerusalem being uh, left out for the vultures or the burning of the city or the temple or anything like that. He sees it in a vision, but he doesn't see it face to face. And so that would be a context that people could connect it with. But the reality is, any time throughout the history of humanity, you see these sorts of things happening, right? So the United States, we have Vietnam, we have World War II, World War I, uh, which are gruesome places where there's bodies left out in the sun to rot. We have, um, uh, in the wider history of things, we have the Napoleonic Wars where France tried to take over the world. We have... Uh, go back further, we have the Seven Years' War, we have the Hundred Years' War, we have the Thirty Years' War, we have um, the invasion of England by um, the Normans, we have all sorts of things throughout history. We have, back in uh, uh, not very long after Ezekiel writes, we have the Battle of Philippi, where two 250,000-strong 
uh, armies fight against each other and one of them is, disappears, right? Um, those people are all dead. That's uh, this population of Lincoln, all dead in a teeny tiny little city in, uh, um, in Greece called Philippi. And, and so this is something that should be familiar to people of all times and places. And maybe even, dare I say it, it could be familiar to us as well as we deal with things going on in our world today. And so the bottom line is the appearance of death is very, very real. But the power of God's word brings life where there is only death, not human decision, not human will, not military might, not political finesse. Only the power of God's word brings dead things back to life. Could we say, Pastor, that this is God's M.O.? He takes dead things and make them alive? Yeah, and through his word, right? I mean, we have to add that part in there. Um, God could work through lightning bolts or through earthquakes and things like that to bring people back, but the way he does it is through his word. And so this is so important for us, and this is the danger we face right now, being separated from being physically in the church. We need to make sure we're still hearing God's word because that's how the Holy Spirit works. Wherever God's word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, the Holy Spirit is attached to that word. He's not floating around. He's always attached in the word, and that's why the word is so important for us. The words of Ezekiel 37 really kind of uh, startle us because of this image of this valley of dead bones. And uh, you, know, you think of several horror movies that you've seen or whatever, and uh, we, we are shocked and we are startled by the immensity of death. But let's be honest, death is frightening and scary, even if it's just one person. And it's especially frightening and scary if that one person is me. God is the one who gave me life. God is the one who breathed life into me at the waters of holy baptism and gave me new life in Christ. And when my cold, dead body is decomposing in the grave... Christ's breath will come on the last day and speak to me and say, Clint, come forth. And my dead, dry bones will come back to life. This is a promise not just for me, not just for you, but for all who cling by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. O sons and daughters of the King, the hymn of the day for the second Sunday of Easter. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, the traditional quote-unquote doubting Thomas text, John 20, 19 to 31. 
In our third segment, we looked at the marvelous vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. And now we want to take a look at our epistle reading, put all this together, 1 John 5, 4 to 10. And uh, this is a section of scripture that properly understood is a marvelous, marvelous comfort for struggling Christians. Um, there's no need to uh, allegorize this or to make it say something that it doesn't plainly say. Vicar, 1 John 5, 4 to 10. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that is that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Okay, we have these words here, 1 John chapter 5, 4 to 10. Uh, the theme, the, the writing style, the structure of 1 John is very simple. It's a very simple Greek to translate. Uh, there are many themes that are there that are repeated over and over again. Um, making God out to be a liar by not believing the truth of God's word. This is uh, repeated again and again and again and again. And so here we have these words that, in a sense, kind of catch us off guard. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Okay, no surprise there. The Gospel of John, the long discourse with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Unless you are born again, born from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. How can I do this? Nicodemus asked. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the spirit. He's talking about baptism here. All right. So for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And then, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. You would expect the next words to be, Jesus. You would expect the next words to be Good Friday and Easter, the victory that overcomes the world. But instead, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking about something different. He's focusing us somewhere else. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Pastor, Lutherans do not talk much about our faith. We talk about Jesus. We talk about the power of God's word. We let the faith stuff up to the Holy Spirit. Why this emphasis right here, the fifth chapter of uh, 1 John, why this emphasis on our faith? 
Well, faith always has an object that it looks to or clings to or um, uh, something that it is focused in on. And the next sentence in our text tells us that the faith uh, is the one who, or the faith is belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when we talk about it in this way, that's exactly the truth, is that our faith in Jesus Christ is what is the thing that gets us out of this world. Now, that doesn't mean we take and make faith our work. It's not our work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the Word, and he's going to go into that a little bit, too, when he talks about the testifying in a little bit. Um, This is John's being a perfectly good Lutheran here in the things that he's saying. Our faith, the object of it is Jesus Christ, and that faith is given to us as a free gift by the work of the Holy Spirit in Word and Sacrament, and we're going to get all this idea uh, clarified here as we continue to move forward. Okay, well, I'm going to move backwards before I move forward. Um, These words echo words of Jesus recorded by the gospel by uh, the apostle John in his gospel in that uh, section John 14 15 16 17 that we oftentimes refer to as the high priestly prayer Uh, some people have summarized the high priestly prayer of saying uh, of uh, with this particular statement that um, with regard to overcoming the world Um, A uh, Christian is to be in the world, but not of the world. That's not a direct quote from Scripture, but that's kind of a paraphrase of what is clearly taught in that high priestly prayer. So, Pastor, how does the faith of a Christian overcome the world? Well, uh, the faith of a Christian is a gift from the Holy Spirit that brings the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to us now and therefore allows us to apply it to all the difficult things that happen. So this happens to us all the time. When we're sick, uh, the pastor comes and he preaches God's word to us and teaches us about how God promises to care for us and provide for us. Jesus is able to heal sickness, uh, and in the end that he'll heal it no matter what uh, through the resurrection on the last day uh, where we get to live sickness-free. If we have a... um, Uh, a loss of a loved one, we talk about Jesus and how faith in him is the thing that overcomes the world because Christ has uh, overcome death in the grave and we have resurrection on the last day. And so in all these ways, our faith, which clings to Jesus, allows us to look beyond the end of this world and this life and into the world and the life that is promised to come in the future. And so it's not, again, faith that it's our action, it's faith that clings to the word and promises of Jesus uh, that is the important thing. And so, I mean, we can say our faith overcomes the world like John does here, but we have to understand what he means, and that's where we have to move forward in the text to get an idea of how that faith comes to us uh, and not turn faith into our good work, but rather faith as God's work in us that, um, that brings salvation to us. Very well said. Now, this faith is you said the faith has to have an object. Uh, John goes on here and says, this is he who came by water and blood. So now we're, now we're talking about the object of this faith, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and the blood. Now, when I hear these words, I want to go to Good Friday, the soldier's 
pokes the spear in Jesus' side, and out comes water and blood. Is that where my brain is supposed to go with these words from 1 John 5, or am I looking at something wrong? No, I think that's a great place to go, and I think the way to go there, especially in a faithful way, is maybe you've seen the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross with the water and the blood pouring out of his side, and there's a little angel that is holding a baptismal font and catching the water, and there's a little angel that is holding the communion chalice and is catching the blood. Uh, And so we have water and blood flowing from Christ's side, the things that bring the church into existence through the sacrament. We also have at the death of Christ, uh, he cries out in a loud voice and gives up the Spirit, uh, the Word again, and, and John's going to point us to water, blood, and spirit crying, these three testifying. Um, Again, that's the same thing we say every week on this show, right? Uh, The word, the word, the word, the sacraments, which uh, word is combined with a physical means. uh, These are the things that bring faith to God's people, and that's the same thing John's teaching here. And then the text goes on to say, this is how the Holy Spirit testifies. Now, when I hear that word testify, I think of a courtroom. I think of somebody who's under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. John says, this is the one, the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. So we are talking about Good Friday, we are talking about Easter Sunday, we are talking about the blood and the water that flow from the side of Jesus, which signify that he's truly dead, and yet they also signify the life and the birth that God gives and sustains to the church through the word, through the gift of holy baptism, and through the Lord's Supper. Is that the testimony that is here, Pastor? I'd say, yeah, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and God's Word um, of forgiveness, that's where the church is brought into existence. That's the lifeblood of the divine service uh, and our Christian faith, uh, which overcomes the world. And that's John is confessing here again, like I said, he's very Lutheran in what he's saying, and uh, that's the reason we say the same thing. Verse 10 has echoes back to John chapter 3 as well. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever has faith in him lives forever. Whoever does not will be condemned. Verse 10 of 1 John 5 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Pastor, is it just that simple? You either believe in Jesus or you don't? Uh, Yeah, I I hate to say it um, and maybe sound oversimplifying, but faith in Jesus is the thing that saves nothing else can. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who points us to the completed work of Jesus. Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not included in Holy Scripture or specifically in the Gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
Vicar, do you want to bring things to a close, praying the collect of the day for the second Sunday of Easter? Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. And uh, these are strange times. You may or may not be able to participate in some kind of corporate worship activity, but everything else stays the same when you get up on Sunday morning. Read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor. And most of all, however you do it, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.